Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, Episode 17. The temperament is a, a particular style that an individual has that influences their emotions and attention and their behavior. So by understanding and recognizing a child's temperament, you can in many ways predict how they're going to respond to different situations. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Today, uh, I hope, uh, you have one of those uh, aha moments that uh, that you live for and that you love to see in your students, because um, I definitely had it today with our guest. I sit down to talk with Dr. Sandy McClowry about her research and teacher professional development training all about children's temperament. And uh, while her training is largely for elementary students, uh, early elementary students, uh, this concept of individual temperaments is uh, something that sticks with people for a while, and uh, some research believe it sticks with you your whole life. Um, but as we get older, we tend to get better at hiding these individual temperament traits, uh, and um, it's just human nature, I guess. <laughs> uh, but the four that Dr. M- Dr. McClowry talks about today and that are included in her teaching are high maintenance, industrious, shy and cautious, and social and eager to try. And I hope uh, just by those titles alone, your brain is starting to select the students that you have that might uh, fall into one of those temperament categories. Uh, And we go over a number of techniques on how to tailor your conversations and tailor your behavior management for students, depending on which temperament they tend to exhibit most. Um, But before we dive into that, I have some self-advertising to do. Uh, on top of the Facebook group that I'd love for you to be a part of, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash group slash Jabadoo. Um, on top of the show notes that I would love for you to check out for this episode, you can go to jabadoo.com slash show 17. Even on top of the email newsletter, I would love for you to sign up for available on our homepage, jabadoo.com. Uh, what I would really appreciate is if you could go leave a rating and review Uh, of this podcast on your app of choice. Um, I'd really love your help in just letting other people know what to expect from this podcast. So uh, whether you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other app, uh, that rating and review is uh, just really appreciated. Um, Even if you want to to screenshot it and email it directly to me, I would love to connect with you. Uh, I I read and respond to all my emails. So uh, you can send that over to john at jabadoo.com. Uh, that is J-O-N at J-A-B-B-E-D-U dot com. There's no H in John. <laughs> Anybody else out there like that? No, I don't know. Um, yeah, I would love to connect with you. So go ahead and email that over to me. All right, that's it. Let's get into it with Dr. Sandy McClowry. All right, on today's episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast, we are talking with Sandy McClowry. She is the developer of a program called insights into children's temperament, which we are definitely going to dive into today. But Sandy, thank you for, so much for taking the time out and for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm doing well, as well as I can for COVID life, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes. 
<laughs> so we were uh, just chatting, obviously, before uh, we hit the record button, just kind of catching up. And uh, I was happy to hear that your son is also a musician. So you are a part of the musician family <laughs> in one I, way or another. One way or another, yes. Not part of a, uh, not anyone you want to hear music from. <laughs> certainly appreciate it. See, now, as a music teacher, I have to say that everyone is a musician. We just all have different levels of abilities. After this is over, I will prove you wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, thank you again uh, for joining us. And um, let's just dive into it. So uh, I always start from the beginning. So what was your schooling experience? Uh, maybe some highs and some lows uh, as you were coming through. Okay. So uh, based on my research, I can tell you that I was the industrious type student, a hard worker. And therefore, I love school and school loved me. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until much later when I was doing my research, I found out that that's only about 10% of kids. And those are the ones teachers think they're going to have in the classroom. Yep. And so a number of kids are temperamentally disadvantaged. But fortunately, I was not. So school was a great place for me as it has been all through my life since that's essentially where I've been whether as a student or a faculty person. Right. Yeah. So as uh, I guess, as an elementary student, you said you just, you love school. So what were either maybe some of the things that you loved about it or maybe a teacher that you had that really impacted you? Um, I loved reading and our school had these little SRA kits. I went to a very poor uh, school um, in the school was in a poor neighborhood, I should say, um, a Catholic school. And they had these SRA kits that I could go to whenever I was done with my regular assignments and continue on my reading skills. And so consequently, I became a great reader, which has served me thereafter, because once you can read and digest different materials, you've got a real edge um, of yeah, the text. Yeah, the teacher almost is not as important as the textbook. Yeah, yeah, um, and that was not my experience. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have come into enjoying reading, uh, but I, I certainly fell more in the line of enjoying recess. And I did enjoy math, but uh, music was certainly my uh, my passion from a very young age. So, um, getting into middle school, high school, you stuck with the reading, or did you explore some other things? What were some of the things that you enjoyed uh, as you got older? Um, I was involved in theater groups and uh, social life. Yes, of and, course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, continue to find school um, a very safe haven for me, you know, a place where I could really um, use my skills and be appreciated for them. Yeah, and you said uh, you were at a uh, Catholic elementary school. Was that also uh, middle school and high school as well? Yeah. Okay. Uh, private, right? Uh, uh, I guess they Catholic there aren't. Schools. What's that? Yeah. They're they're private schools. Yeah, yeah I, of course there aren't <laughs> there aren't typically public Catholic schools, but no, um, no. yeah. Uh, so I guess what would you say um, now coming through a, as the Catholic uh, school system versus the public school system, because you went on and you obviously went to college and graduate um, 
and graduate school. Uh, would you say that there are any significant differences that you personally experienced between the two, or is it just really just a parent's choice? Well, I think the, the difference is that um, when you're a parent, you want to choose a, a, a school culture that matches the families, mm -hmm. and that happened in our family uh, since the church was, uh, the neighborhood church was some, something that we all focused on. Um, but there are other ways in public schools that you can create those communities as well. Yeah, certainly. So I don't think it's a matter of public versus private as much as what's going on in that particular school and how are they creating community for your child and for the whole family. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's community is, is probably one of the strongest things that you can, uh, in, in terms of wanting to create a, a strong culture in your school, building the community and, and building up a strong community is definitely a, a, one of the best steps you can probably take in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So going from uh, high school into college, um, what, what did you, what in high school got you to what you wanted to do in college, I suppose. <laughs> it didn't. I wandered around in college a lot, <laughs> a lot. Um, different majors, starting off in theater and going in a number of directions. I ended up in nursing. And so I'm a pediatric nurse. My PhD is in nursing. Um, and if you're dealing with sick children the same as healthy children, the development um, that the kids are experiencing and the family support is just really critical. And so I've just kind of kept that and pulled it through my research, uh, regardless of what context it's taken place. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that that would be, uh, th there's many parallels to just the nursing world and the education world, just in terms of being a nurturing presence in a child's life. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So was there any, was there a gap between uh, college and graduate school or did you go right into graduate school from college? I finished um, college late. I already had one child. Then I went on to graduate school, got my master's and doctorate uh, pretty close together okay. and managed to squeeze in another kid somewhere along the way. <laughs> my music. Kudos to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, what was then, um, so coming from, uh, coming out of your your doctorate, which was in nursing, um, somehow you you transferred over to the education world at some point. So uh, what what was kind of running through your mind as you're going through this transfer into um, teaching at the collegiate level then? Well, what I was interested in is in children of poverty um, and, you know, um, and complex children, uh, whether they were chronically ill, or living in homes that were impoverished. Mm -hmm. And so um, to get a group of school-age kids, I just followed them right into the school. Um, my dissertation was on hospitalized children, but the underlying theme was children's personalities or temperament, and that flowed right into the elementary schools where they were keeping a lot more kids. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned temperament, and that's obviously uh, a lot of what your research uh, was at the collegiate level and what has kind of morphed into this program that you have now stepped away from teaching full time and you are now focused full time on uh, getting this information out to 
as many elementary schools is really where where your prime spot is. But hopefully some of the stuff that we talk about can be applied to uh, students of all ages, uh, just in terms of getting maybe different angles as to how we approach um, I, again, I use air quotes because we we said we deal with musicians instead of co-work with musicians, but <laughs> really it's it's in, in a matter of uh, addressing the needs of your students, right? Right. And I do think it has applicability. I mean, I focused on the school age child, but um, the strategies that I use um, can be applied to my friends and frequently um, my husband, who <laughs> will say... You're quoting from page 23 of your book, aren't you? Yes, I am. (laughs) Fortunately, he's very good-natured about it. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I've I've been fascinated with um, just psychology and just the, the workings of the brain. Um, really, it's, it's been in the last couple of years. It, this was not something that I was uh, really passionate about or, or interested in much in in college. Um, but it, it, I've definitely become more and more fascinated with uh, the brain and psychology. And I can imagine being a full time psychologist and being able to use what you're learning in your industry with the people around you and kind of doing micro experiments. I think it would be a little. Bit- <laughs> I do try not to uh, do experiments without approval from the Human Subjects okay. Committee, John. <laughs> you, you have to, say that, because, you have that to say that because this is on the record, but I, I, right. I, I got right. the wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, excellent. So let's start then just with what would you say is uh, the, dep- or the, the, what would you say is the definition of temperament and how does that play into uh, the work that you're doing? Yeah, the temperament is a a particular style that an individual has that influences their emotions and attention and their behavior. So by understanding and recognizing a child's temperament, you can in many ways predict how they're going to respond to different situations. And then for teachers and parents, use that background to select strategies that work with that particular child. Excellent. And in your training and insights to uh, students' temperament, you have four main temperaments, right, that students kind of fall into. So can we highlight those four and kind of just, let's just start with that, just touch base and kind of describe what those four temperaments are. Sure. Well, I mentioned uh, the industrious temperament that Mm -hmm. I was describing in terms of myself. That's a child who is high in task persistence, Uh, low in negative reactivity, so they don't respond intensely when there's a disappointment, and uh, average in motor activity. Um, Those children, uh, when when we're talking about them with the puppets with the young children, that's Hillary the hard worker or Henry the hard worker. Um, And again, those are the uh, types of temperaments, that's the type of temperament that most teachers think they're going to have in their classroom or be able to recreate the children into sure. Hillary the hard worker. And that's, and that's probably because that's what most teachers were coming through school, right? Possibly, yeah. A lot of them were. Um, those are easy children to manage in the classroom. So, yeah. Um, and they're fun because they, they too like school. Right. They enjoy yeah. learning. They enjoy the process. They enjoy, yeah, they enjoy that. Right. 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 
So then uh, the mirror image to Hillary the hard worker is Gregory or Gretchen the grumpy. <laughs> and um, that's a child who is just the opposite. They're low in task persistence, high in motor activity, and um, high in negative reactivity. And you can be sure that teachers can point out those kids immediately in their classroom. Other programs would call those kids ADHD. We do not, and we get their behavior down to normal levels without any medication. And then uh, two other types are Frederico the Friendly or Felicity the Friendly, who's social and eager to try just about everything. Um, these are kids who are very engaged, particularly with other people in their classroom. <laughs> and teachers either enjoy having them there or really wish that they would be a little bit more focused on school as opposed to enjoying themselves. These are the kids, when you ask them, their favorite subject is lunch because that's when they're with their friends. That's when they can talk. <laughs> that's when they can talk, right. And then the opposite to Federico. Uh, the friendly is Coretta the Cautious or Carl the Cautious, and they are shy and reticent to participate and also require a rather perceptive and responsive teacher to enjoy school because they, would, they easily become overwhelmed in a, in a classroom. And not necessarily a chaotic classroom, just in any classroom where there's the usual um, activities going on and a lot of uh, movement and uh, noise. Yeah, and I, as you're saying those four, I can definitely picture in some of my classes, yep, that student's that one, that student's that one, but a lot of them yep. are gonna fall somewhere in the middle of, of most of yeah. these, right? About, I've studied thousands of kids and about half of them will fall in that profile. Uh, the other half will be mixtures or none of the above. But as you say, when I present it to teachers immediately, and if they're sitting next to a colleague, they'll elbow them and say, you know who that is, don't you? And it's always enjoyable to see that level of validation from teachers. Yeah, absolutely. So can we, can we just go through those four and just kind of say maybe um, on top of some of the behaviors that we might see, what would be some of the things that these students need from us as teachers in order to start uh, being more engaged in school or being enjoying school more or getting more out of school? Um, let's, let's go through that. So the first one, your hard worker. Uh, yes. It almost seems like they don't need anything, but what, were, what, oh, are, no, some no, ways, no. what are some ways that we can support them? Sure. Um, they tend to be bossy um, and perfectionist. And so those may be the kids who are um, uh, crushed when they don't do well on a test or can't get something perfectly. Um, as a child, I was always coming home and telling my mother I was going to fail. She stopped listening to me when I was getting my doctorate <laughs> and said, sorry, <laughs> it's not gonna work this time. But um, even though they're hard workers, you know, they, it, it, they seldom are able to reach their level of expectations. So they do need some support. And unfortunately, we found out in our study um, in children, uh, with children in under-resourced classrooms, 
that they weren't getting a lot of teacher attention. You would expect that they would be getting lots, right. but the teachers were so dealing with the problems going on in the classroom that the Hillary and Henry, the hard workers, were just kind of there and uh, not getting as much attention as they need. So definitely, they need attention too. Yeah, just a different type of attention from what you would expect. That's right. 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 And if you were to reprimand Hillary, you would have to use a gentle uh, approach because um, she's trying so hard uh, that if she hears she's not doing it well, she's going to be, her little soul will be crushed, at least for that yeah. day. <laughs> uh, and then we've got our grumpy. Ah, uh, yes, my favorite. Our, our, um, all of our favorites. <laughs> no, seriously, my favorite. Um, because I can look right into the eyes and into the soul of these little, little people <laughs> and, um, they appreciate that. I know them and accept them. Um, and one of the findings I'm most proud of is that we have helped teachers in their relationships with Gregory the Grumpy, yeah. um, yeah. to deal with Gregory, um, you have to use a very different type of approach. You cannot make a slight comment to him. You have to get his attention and be very firm in terms of what you're telling him. Otherwise, it goes right over his head and it's useless information. Uh, but, but, you know, we, when we were first developing insights, we had, um, a, I was doing it in a first grade classroom. And at the end of the time, I just asked the kids, okay, how many of you are like Hillary? So on and so forth. And I saved Gregory for last because I didn't think that any kid would identify himself as being high maintenance. And about five kids raised their hands, which were the ones that the clinician and teacher had already identified as being high maintenance. Mm -hmm. So from a very early age, these kids know that um, they react strongly and that annoys people. And what we try and do is teach them how to express their distress, and they have many, uh, but in a more socially acceptable way. Right. So the, the training, <clears throat> excuse me, the training that you're doing isn't just for the teacher. It's also you're going in and did I read it was 10, 10 sessions that you do? 10, 45 10, minute lessons? 10 sessions with the kids and um, uh, either two days of professional development with the teachers or six sessions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think even just that, that approach to uh, this sort of training is kind of new, not necessarily new, but obviously it, it more there's more training focused on helping the teachers than there is on helping the kids because the teachers are supposed to be the ones to help the kids, right? So I think it's right. it's really kind of unique. I guess unique is the word that I was looking for, uh, that you come in and you actually do training with the students. We do training with the students and their parents as well as right. the teacher. So we try and reach every way um, for the benefit of the kids and right. the teachers because uh, what we also found out is that the biggest reduction in the behavior problems of kids occurs during the first two weeks of insights, which is not when we're teaching strategies yet, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. understanding a child's temperament and it just kind of relieves people. And they know if they're going to do something, respond in a certain way, it's going to be counterproductive instead of being useful to that particular child in the classroom. Right. Yeah. And even like you said, you, you have that triangle, right? The students, the teacher and the family. And that uh, obviously creates a very strong 
bond between the whole thing. We were, we were talking about community earlier, right? And those are the three tenets right. of a school community. It's the students, the teachers, and the, and the parents. Right. Insight started off as a parenting program. And I realized that um, although I, the parents were being responsive, things that were going on in the classroom were not what I was teaching the parents. And so I brought the parents together, uh, the teachers together and said, let's do a session. And they said, no, if the parents are having more sessions, we are too. So that's how Insights for Teachers developed. It was by the demands of the teachers. <laughs> and all my excuses about how busy I was and um, uh, just didn't work. Sure. So I appreciate those teachers. They were, they were right. Sometimes we all need that little bump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got hard worker, we've got grumpy, we are on to friendly. What kind of support does friendly students need? Um, I think he needs to be enjoyed and um, still given some strategies to kind of regulate his behavior. Um, I, I'm fond of those kids too because um, they're eager to try anything going on. And so these are the kids, if you know, if kids are reluctant to try something, you might put this kid in the front of the line to try a, a new activity or, or something that you're trying to do. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm just trying to think through some of my students and say, okay, right. yeah, maybe I can start to do that with that person. So uh, I hope you as a listener uh, are also doing the same thing with your class. And the last one then is our cautious student. Um, mm -hmm. What do they need from us? Yeah, these are kids who can be just lost in the classroom. Um, and they would like to be, you know, they don't want right. attention. Um, these are not the kids who are going to raise their hand to be line leader or anything else. Um, and if, if reprimanded in any way, they'll turn into a puddle of tears, boys or girls, um, or just really withdraw from school. And so they might be there uh but may not appear to be present as much as they are teachers tend to underestimate the iq of these kids mm -hmm. because they're not raising their hand um and even when you call on them it takes a while before you get a response uh, that might be adequate for what you're looking for so it takes a real sensitive teacher to understand that and to figure out how to pair this child with another child, like if they're learning a music piece, before they have to do it with a larger group, and to scaffold them as you move them forward to be able to try um, new things. As, and with all of the temperaments, while we respect temperament, we still have to socialize children because eventually uh, the, the shy child's going to go to college and we'll have to do a presentation, right? So you want to get them to the point where that's less uncomfortable than it was originally when they were asked to do show and tell. Right. So, well, I guess what would you say then to, because you're, if you're approaching your students and saying, okay, you're, everybody kind of falls somewhere on the spectrum of these, these four different uh, temperaments. Um, if you have structures laid out in your classroom that are uh, like behavior management structures or something like that. Um, like for, for us at, at our school, we use a program called Class Dojo. Are you familiar with that at all? Uh, is that the, the flip cards? Uh, you not necessarily. So this, it's basically just a reward system, right? So uh, uh -huh. 
you try to do your five to one, five positive for everyone that you take away, right? So when yeah. kids earn 20 points, they get a certain thing, right? So uh -huh. they right. earn points for, for good behavior. So uh -huh. I'm just, I'm looking at this and I'm saying it is so much easier to give points, to give those positive reinforcements to your hard workers and your friendlies than right. it is to your grumpies and your cautious, right? So how do we balance that in uh, an elementary classroom that might use a reward system like this? Um, I tend not to do rewards like that um, unless a child has a particular need where I'll do a contract with them. Instead, I um, would tend to use more global statements with the class about somebody sit, uh, working diligently and getting their work done as opposed to a reward because you're right. You can tell who are the kids who who get those rewards, and then you can imagine how the kids who haven't gotten any rewards have gone go home at the end of the day. And those are the kids who probably need that positive reinforcement more than the uh, kids who sit there and do their work. Right. And obviously the the point of those positive reinforcements is to uh, reinforce the behavior, right? It's not the the goal is that, you move away from that eventually and the students become less required on earning points as they do of just, this is now the expected behavior. Right. So in terms of if you're using one of those systems throughout your class, it definitely is going to be challenging to, to provide these um, points to these students. So what do you, what do you say to the teacher who's giving points to, you know, your grumpy student giving easier points, quote unquote, easier points to that student to keep them in line with their peers who don't earn points for those same behaviors because they are your, quote unquote, better student? Well, I think, first of all, the teacher has to be sensitive to understanding that regulating behavior is much harder for some kids than others. And it's not intentional. It just is. And so um, I guess the responsive teacher would be looking out for instances when Gregory or Coretta has done something that they want to give a reward for. And so it's not the first student that comes to mind. You, know, you have to gear your statement or however you're doing it uh, to that particular child. And it may just be, I know this was a, um, a long assignment, Gregory, but you really pursued that. And that's a really good thing. Yeah, and using using those those terminology, being very particular with the words that we use when giving praise. Right. Right. It's right. a huge huge aspect of that, and that that ties in kind of nicely with um, Carol Dweck's uh, research on growth mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard that by now, <laughs> if you're in the education world and you haven't heard about Carol Dweck's growth mindset, just stop this heard. podcast and go look <laughs> that up right now because. <laughs> no, I've heard. We're safe to go on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling my listeners. So, oh, man. Yeah. Put it on pause. Yes. Listener, yes. Pause and go <laughs> go research Carol Dweck. Um, I, I've heard the expression um, that, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say this right, but essentially that fair is not identical. Does that make sense? Like, what is what is fair in the whole classroom, like there might be some behaviors that for a certain student, you right. address in a different way than another student. And right. to try to, you know, 
uh, create these classroom rules that are hard set that you stick to no matter what and you stick to your guns and you die on that hill of that rule that you created might not be the smartest thing and I think that what you're doing here with uh, these temperaments these insights to children temperaments kind of speaks to that right is that in terms of classroom management not every kid is the same not every kid is the same and appreciating that it is more difficult for some children, kids with low attention spans, you know, it's not they're just trying to drive their teacher crazy. It's that <laughs> that is part of their makeup. And so what is, um, what is an achievement for some child would not be the same for them. But you, you, wherever you are and you do this in music, you do this in, in anything you're teaching, you start where the child is right. and then you scaffold and stretch from there. It's nothing different when you're trying to do social emotional learning. You've got to start where they are. Right. And I think that that was probably, you know, as a first year teacher, there's so many, so many learning uh, curves oh, that yeah. you have to, that you have to work on. And one of those for me was the classroom management. It, it continues to be classroom management. But I think one of the things that I did my first year that if I could go back and tell me to do differently was to not create hard and fast rules in your classroom. You want to create structures mm -hmm. and expected behaviors, but you can't say if this behavior happens, here's the consequence, right? Cause that, I think that boxes you in and it doesn't allow you to address individual students needs maybe as well as you, you might want to. Well, classroom management is challenging for almost all teachers. Yeah. And you know, there are ways of, uh, explain those structures at the beginning of the year and practicing and practicing until they become uh, really part of the culture of the classroom. And if you don't do that, you find yourself six months into the uh, time correcting children. But if you've created the routines that they need and learn to enjoy, it, it goes much better. Yeah. I want to uh, pop back really quickly to something that you said uh, earlier was that um, the students who get lumped into this uh, grumpy category, it was it, grumpy Gus is, the, is what I have stuck in my head, but what is the Gregory, right? Grumpy or Gretchen the grumpy. I <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that um, sometimes students in with this temperament get labeled as ADHD and mm -hmm. uh, actually just Yesterday, uh, my podcast episode with uh, Dr. Mark Alter, who's one of your colleagues up at NYU, uh, he mentioned that students with ADHD often sometimes get bumped into special education as well. Um, so I, it, maybe it's because it's fresh on my mind or, or I think it's just ADHD is also just a hot topic to discuss as well. But you mentioned that um, with some of these adjustments that teachers are finding through some of your training, uh, students who are but labeled ADHD, um, you're, you're finding a lot of success with that. So can you just dive into that maybe a little bit more before we move on? Sure. Well, two points. First of all, what Mark's talking about um, is that special ed is full of kids with behavioral problems more than um, just intellectual problems. Mm -hmm. You might have two kids with the same IQ and one's going to get referred because of their behavior problems and the other is not. Uh, and boys more so than girls. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is about the ADHD uh, kids is it's not that I don't believe there is ADHD. Yeah. Um, I have uh, children in my private practice um, that 
you know, I tried every behavioral trick I knew and then re then came to the recognition that there was more than I could handle with behavior techniques. And so I've, I've only referred two kids so far for medication, um, but it's not the first place you go. And even for kids who do require medication, those tendencies, if they truly have ADHD, are not going to end when, as they get older. And so they need strategies to learn in order to self-regulate themselves um, as much as they possibly can. Now that doesn't make it easy, but it makes them, it gives them the insights that they need to understand uh, that they have to put on a timer or they have to give themselves a break somewhere along the line in order to be able to concentrate. So it's no longer um, framed as a de deficit, but there are advantages to kids with ADHD once we can get them out of school. Uh, people working on Wall Street, uh, police, a lot of people who have to make quick decisions mm may well have ADHD and they've been able to redirect themselves. So that's an advantage. If you had to get a quick decision out of me, it would be pathetic just watching <laughs> me because I focus and I think and, and, and that's not um, useful in many situations. So there are pluses and uh, challenges with every temperament. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, at least as in my own opinion and, and what I've heard from other people saying is that ADHD is uh, over um, diagnosed. diagnosed. Thank you. Yeah, that was the term yeah. is over diagnosed yeah. when in, in, in a lot of cases it can be some of the behaviors that are being attributed to ADHD are just mismanaged. Right. And so um, I know one particular little kid who loved kindergarten and hated first grade. And it was just the difference in how the teacher reacted. Just a different. You know, would come home and tell mom and dad all kinds of stories from the first teacher and wouldn't talk about school at all the second year. Okay. What's that telling us? Right. There's yeah. something going on that that child's not feeling good about himself and probably not good in school. And I worry about kids who are high maintenance because by the time they get to third grade, they've kind of been turned off by school and they're just sitting there waiting for it to be over. And that's right. a long time uh, to be sitting there waiting for it to be over. It is. Yeah. And I, I have the benefit as a music teacher. And I would think that gym teachers and art teachers probably are in agreement that sometimes those kids who really struggle in those homeroom classes come to our class and they thrive because they are allowed to express themselves a little bit more and they're allowed to be up and moving and uh and it just helps them throughout that day so um yeah i mean what, what would be some things maybe uh from from your research that are some strategies i guess for for students who would fall into this grumpy category um mm -hmm. what, were, what are some strategies that teachers can implement tomorrow well, what we all do uh, with all the temperaments is reframing, understanding strengths and challenges, like I said. And, um, and that's I think one of that, your that's one of your three R's, right? Right, right. Um, I think the fact that these kids can move fast is a real asset. Um, that they can make quick decisions. That they can juggle. Um, that they are incredibly honest. 
And so with some of the other kids, you know, you really have to dig to find out what's going on. You don't have to worry with a high maintenance kid because they're going to tell you right away what's what you're doing wrong. And um, if you can appreciate that honesty and redirect it in a, in a more acceptable way, that's a real asset that child has. So those kids can end up in management kind of positions. I am a terrible manager because <laughs> I assume everybody else wants to be uh, as industrious as me and doesn't need any uh, checking in on and uh, direction. And um, that's not a good management skill, but the high maintenance kid can handle that much better. They're pretty used to, and some of them enjoy um, disagreeing with people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I've, I, so every once in a while, I will be devil's advocate in an argument, but I know people who just argue for the sake of arguing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's very natural for them. <laughs> Um, so we, we, you touched on it right there. You mentioned one of the three R's and that's actually kind of where I wanted to go uh, next before we wrap up. Um, Cause this, this came out of the parent training, I believe is if I read that correctly, the, the uh, it's in both the parent and the teacher training. Okay. So, so it, what are the three R's and then okay. uh, how do we use those? Okay. So the first is recognize the child's temperament. And um, there is a questionnaire on my website. Um, that teachers can go on and fill out and the temperament of that particular child will pop up and so they can see what that temperament is. Um, so recognizing is the first important step. The next is reframing. So neither one temperament is not good and another bad. They all have strengths and challenges. And then responding. Um, how is it that teachers are responding to these kids? And is that an adequate response, counterproductive, or an optimal response that helps that child mature and grow? Now, in the course of a classroom day, you cannot use many optimal statements because you are so busy, but learning how to use adequate statements is a really good thing. And because optimal statements are so powerful, you don't want to overuse them, but when used correctly, they can be real helpful saying to the child, I know that right now you might want to be uh, jumping around our classroom, but what can we do to get you in a, in a place that you're comfortable in the classroom so you can finish this assignment? So it's not a um, punishing kind of statement. It's an acknowledgement. And the kids will look at you like, you know who I am? How is it you knew that, you know? Uh, it's just an acknowledgement of who they are and they appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm sure for some teachers that comes very naturally and for other teachers, it is just in rooted in whatever system that you, you came through college learning. This is the management system that you're supposed to use because it's the best, whatever. Uh, for some teachers, that's going to be very natural. And for other teachers, that's going to be uh, a practice that you have to right. practice using these phrases. So if we go to, is that the, the website is insightsintervention.com? Right. Okay, so if uh, teachers head over there, they can take that assessment that will uh, tell them what, what type of student is, and then does it also give some recommendations and some statements that they can use? The temperament pops out with not as many um, directives as I would like in terms of what you do with that particular temperament, but it, it will pop out and talk about the strengths and the challenges of that child. Okay, and then obviously when, when you go through the insights, uh, professional development, 
my brain is working slower today. Uh, but you go to those professional development, um, obviously, that you will learn a lot more of the tools and statements and everything that uh, you can help students with. Right. I mean, we've done insights long enough to know which things are challenging for teachers. Like, for example, when we do a cooperation contract, uh, we um, ask them to choose one very small behavior and say it in a positive way. And most times we'll get a, um, a request for a personality overhaul, you know, because by the time you get to making a contract with a child, you've been frustrated, the child's been frustrated. And that tends to come out in the first response. So that's why it's just, you know, it's helpful to read about the materials, but it's even more helpful to be engaged with other people who are using it or with coaching you in, in how to do it. Excellent. And then if uh, teachers are listening to this and they're interested in, in learning more about uh, insights to uh, children's temperament, um, obviously the website that I listed, uh, we will have that linked in our show notes page. Is there anywhere else uh, that you want to direct them to uh, start learning some more? Um, I've written a book on temperament-based classroom management. You have. There. Um, they can email me if they want more information or just on the website, there's a contact us, of course. Okay. And is that something that uh, if, if teachers go and fill it out, is that something that they are, they can sign up for you to come to the entire school and do an entire school training? Or is this j just on the individual level for the most part? Yeah. Well, pre-COVID, that would right, work yeah. well. <laughs> yes. Right now, um, <clears throat> very school, very few schools are doing anything in person. Right in the school. So we are switching over to, <clears throat> excuse me, asynchronous and a uh, synchronous program so that teachers have time to talk with us, but also can see the materials. Um, that should be ready in a couple of weeks. And then we'll go at it from there because okay. I'm anticipating the in-person um, programs right now are just too difficult for schools to handle. Right. And depending on uh, when that comes out and when this episode comes out, it might already be available uh, because we're, we're recording a few weeks before this episode will go live. So uh, oh, if it is, we will, we will make sure that uh, whatever link that is, it will be found in our show notes page. And I'd so. appreciate being nagged if it's not. So that would be yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we head to our uh, exit ticket questions that we didn't get to talk about today? No, I just think that it's unfortunate uh, in, in many professions, and I'm talking nursing as well as teaching, that temperament is not taught in the curriculum as much as it could be. And so if there's any professors out there listening to this, please add it to your uh, outline and include more information on it. Excellent. Sounds good. All right. Well, then it is time to go to our exit ticket questions. These are the same right. four questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. And as always, all of the answers will be linked in our show notes page. Question number one, other than maybe your book, <laughs> do you have a book recommendation for teachers to check out? I think anything on uh, uh, children's temperament would be a really good thing. Quiet at School, Kathy Rodasol's book, um, I think is an excellent one. Uh, and those are the shy kids. Um, okay. And then, of course, what is what is the name of your most recent book that uh, aligns with uh, the Insights Temperament Training? Yeah, um, I, I've written two lately for teachers. One is uh, classroom management, uh, temperament-based classroom management, and another one is what works 
and it goes over a bunch of other programs that have been evidence-based. Um, Insights, as you can tell, has had lots of research under it, and I encourage teachers to look for programs that have been well, well-researched. Well-researched, yeah, and that's that's the point of this episode or this uh, podcast as well is is bringing all that research to teachers in a consumable way. Question number two then is, do you have another resource, uh, either online or digital, that uh, teachers can go check out? There are a number of places on our website um, that have uh, a video as an example and some other materials that teachers are most welcome to use. Excellent. And yeah, I, I, I perused your website very, very quickly because I was coming back from work and trying to prepare for this meeting. So it was very quick, but you do have uh, some cute videos with the puppets on there and everything. Uh, it, it is pretty fun and, and very engaging to go check out. So uh, we will obviously link that. Question number three is what one piece of advice do you want to give teachers, maybe particularly teachers who are beginning their careers? Ah, yes. Well, at the beginning of the career, I would say get a good hold on what you're going to do with classroom management. Um, the old adage of don't smile at them until mid-year does not work. Uh, instead, having some confidence in terms of who you are and appreciate who they are is the best way to go. And for more experienced teachers, um, use this framework or another framework and so you can observe kids in a different way than you did before. It's always exciting to us when a teacher says they've taught 30 years and they've never looked at things quite this way. I love that. That's uh, it's, it's, uh, very rewarding to hear. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's true with, with anything. Anytime you, you feel like you have this belief and you're presented with something that is newer and better, it is sort of like this, this brilliant, like, oh, it's, it's almost a relief uh, yeah. that you have a new tool for your tool belt. Right. 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 And, I, and I also would tell teachers that while, you know, our classroom curriculum is uh, K to one um, temperament, and uh, the professional development goes much longer than that. It's just developmentally, the curriculum has to match little kids. But for, adult, uh, for the teachers, it's much broader. Right. All right. And then the last thing is if anybody has any other questions or wants to reach out to you, where's the best place to send them? They can send them through the website. They can get me through NYU. Um, and that's simply SM6 at nyu.edu. Um, I'm accessible multiple ways. Sorry, can you go back and repeat that one more time? Whatever just drove sure. by, drowned you out. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. That's all right. SM, like Sam Mary 6 at nyu.edu. All right, sounds good. Uh, and then uh, right before we, we head out, this is, uh, I, I meant to touch on this earlier, but you are actually now following up with some of the students who have gone through the insights <laughs> curriculum. You're now following up with them years and years later and right. kind of touch and base to see where they're at. So where are you at in that research? We're finishing that up. We know that there are less special ed referrals after kids have been through insights, and that's good. Um, and uh, some academic outcomes, not major. My big concern is that we don't give kids programs in kindergarten and first grade and expect that to work throughout their lifespan. Right. Uh, the social emotional skills needed in middle school are very different 
than the ones that we need in kindergarten and first grade. So um, I have been asked by middle school teachers to create a middle school program. It's not my skill set, but someday I hope somebody will to follow up with what we've been doing in the younger grades. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, Sandy McClowry, thank you so much for joining us on the Jabadoo Education Podcast. This was a very insightful conversation. No pun intended. Well, glad to hear that. <laughs> it was good talking to you, John. Thanks yes, so much. Absolutely. Take care. All right. That was Dr. Sandy McClowry. Um, special thank you for uh, to her and all the people over at uh, Insights Intervention. Um, it's it looks like it's gonna, an awesome program, um, and I hope you go check out their website. Um, they really do have a ton of great material on there, a bunch of videos to check out, and um, yeah, go check it out over at Insights uh, InsightsIntervention.com. Um, the one thing that I got out of this episode uh, that I really appreciated was uh, it was just a good reminder that not all kids respond to the same behavior management techniques, right? Um, just this this concept of children's temperament, I think, uh, allows you to see a student as more than just the culmination of their behaviors, right? Instead of saying, oh, that student is hard to manage, uh, with this, you really get to dive into um, these different patterns of behaviors that um, are a result of students not responding to your management style, right? Um, it's not just that those are the behaviors that the student has. It's that these are the behaviors that are uh, showing themselves based on how they're reacting to what we do as leaders in the classroom. Uh, and to reframe it in a way um, that is productive for both you and the student uh, is just really, really uh, beneficial. Uh, I think so. So, um, yeah, for me, this conversation just kind of gave me a, a framework to understand why some kids might not be responding uh, to the different classroom structures that I have in place. And hopefully uh, you got something along those lines out of this conversation as well. Um, just as a quick reminder, uh, we would love to have you be a part of our Facebook group. You can check that out. Facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo. Uh, everything that we talked about today can be found on our show notes page jabadoo.com slash show 17. And once again, uh, we've got this email newsletter. Love for you to go sign up for that. That uh, can be found jabadoo.com right there on the homepage. And once again, uh, if you can go leave a rating and review on your platform of choice, I would definitely appreciate it. And until next time, go do what you do best. Go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. And that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content. And it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. <laughs>